Well, if you've been uh, with us uh, the last few times I've spoken, you know that I um, have been speaking about uh, members of the Hall of Faith that are found in Hebrews chapter 11. And so I'm going to start out there for just a couple verses. And then our main text will take us to Genesis chapter 37. But I'm going to read a couple verses in Hebrews first. If I can find it here. Hebrews chapter 11. And of course we have studied through Abraham, and we saw that he was definitely uh, not a perfect guy, but God um, worked um, through him. And then uh, we uh, saw um, about Isaac and about how uh, Abraham had, had sacrificed Isaac, believing that... Um, that God could raise um, Isaac uh, up from the dead, if that's what it took, to fulfill his promise. And so today, I want to look at the uh, story of Joseph and begin a series on that. And we will uh, look back a little bit about Jacob and Esau, um, but uh, I'm going to read a few verses here, starting in Hebrews 11. Verse 20, and it says, By faith Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning upon his staff. By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. And uh, so we will be looking at the story of Joseph as a bridge to, of course, the story of Moses and onward. And um, so, like I said, we're jumping a little bit because we're not going, I'm not going to talk specifically uh, in detail about um, Jacob and Esau, but, but we will look back at, at um, their story a little bit as we um, dig into this story of Joseph because there are some interesting tie-ins between the two stories, most notably the fact that we are about to read that Joseph was a favorite son of his father, Jacob, and you find, um, as you look back at the story of Jacob and Esau, that favoritism was a part of their story as well, and that caused um, some problems for uh, their generation, and that kind of continued. One thing I noticed about Isaac is that he um, copied his father a lot. And a lot of times you say like father, like son, and often it's in a good way. In Isaac's case, it often wasn't. Um, if you remember, Abraham said, uh, when he was approaching Egypt, he said to his wife Sarah, say not that you're my wife, but say that you're my sister, because, because surely someone will... Uh, take you um, from me and I'll die. 
And so he, she agrees, and she says, I'm his sister. And then, uh, of course, Pharaoh does indeed take her, puts her in his harem, and God prevents Pharaoh from doing anything to harm her. And then, and then he has this conversation with, with the, the leader of Egypt who says, you know, I, I'm innocent. I didn't touch her. Um, in the integrity of my heart, have I done this? Because he thought, well, this is Abraham's sister. It's, it's not his wife. And we, we know from what we've read in the past that barrenness was a punishment that God gave to the entire household of Pharaoh because of this. And so it was a big deal that, that um, it was a big deal for, for Abraham to lie. And then fast forwarding, we find that Isaac had a similar problem. Um, and he said, don't say you're my wife, say you're my sister. Of course, we know that in Abraham's case, it was a half-truth because he married his half-sister. In Isaac's truth, it was a full lie. She was not his sister. And so we see just a perpetuation of problems. Um, but we're going to focus today, as I said, on um, the story of Joseph. And so open your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. Um, we're beginning this story, and there's a lot of ups and downs in this story, a lot of um, interesting parts. Um, if people were to tell me that the Bible was boring, I would point out the story of Joseph as a way to dissuade them from that view, uh, because we definitely are not going to be bored as we go through his story. Um, I'm just going to read the first five verses to set things up. Um, today, and it says, And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Joseph, being seventeen years old, who was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wife, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. So we have the situation, as I said um, in the intro, uh, there was a favoritism problem with uh, Isaac and Rebecca as well, and let's let's go ahead and look at that. If someone could look up the cross reference of Genesis twenty five twenty eight, and then if someone else could look up Genesis thirty twenty two, and then Genesis thirty five sixteen to nineteen, uh, these verses will kind of set up this pattern of, of jealousy and, and how it began and was perpetuated to the next generation. But first, if someone has Genesis 25, 28. Jacob. 
So we see, like I said, that this, this jealousy problem or this, this issue of favoritism was not a new thing. Um, I, I know of a, of a, of a man who, uh, when his sons try to get him to say, you know, who is your favorite of us, Dad? And he says, of all my sons, you are one of them. <laughs> so I think that's, that's probably a wise approach to take. But um, anyway, this was not the approach of Isaac and Rebekah. They kind of each chose their uh, favorite. And if you remember the story, you know that they were told before the twins were born that they were twins and that the older would indeed serve the younger. And surely we see that play out, though perhaps not in the way God had originally intended for uh, Rachel um, the uh, for Rebecca decided to take things into her own hands and um, and cause Jacob to receive the the primary blessing and then of course um, uh, Jacob gave Esau a superficial blessing as well but we see how that happened and then Jacob was driven from his home because Esau hated him and wanted him dead. <coughs> And so that is, that's the climate that sets this up. And uh, we'll get a little bit more information about why Joseph is a favorite son when we read Genesis 30, 22 and 35, 16 to 19. So if people can find those two passages and once somebody finds the first one, they can go ahead and stand up and read it for us. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her Okay, so so this opening of her womb was the what led to Joseph. Joseph was her firstborn of two sons, and uh, so this is why Joseph is a favorite of Jacob because Rachel was a favorite of Jacob. We we read that that Jacob agreed to serve Laban for his daughter Rachel. He said, "I'll serve you for seven years." And then when the seven years were up, he said, give me my wife. I'm ready to, to go in on to her and to make her my wife. And so Laban decides to give Jacob uh, a dose of his own medicine. And he gives him Leah, Leah instead. And then um, the next morning, Jacob says, how could you deceive me? And Laban says, if you give me seven more years of labor, I'll give you Rachel and so a week later, he married Rachel. So he has these two wives, one who he loves and one who the, the King James says that he, that he hated. Now, I don't think that he literally hated Leah, but I think that in comparison to how much he loved Rachel, it must have felt that way to Leah. And of course, um, he went in on to both of them and he gave Leah conception, and she had six children um, before um, Rachel had any chance of having any children, and she couldn't have children, so she gave uh, Jacob her maid, and then, then Leah decided to join the fray and, and give Jacob her maid, and so there ended up being four wives of Jacob. I'm having a hard enough time finding one wife, 
So I don't know how in the world he handled four, but that's another discussion for another time. And, but all this to say, this is why Joseph was the favored son. And, I, and I've heard some people give a little bit of background on these coats. The coat was kind of a symbol of the firstborn inheritance. So, so um, Jacob was in essence saying, even though Joseph was the 11th of 12 sons, he's going to get the inheritance of the oldest child. And of course, the other brothers were mad at him. Um, and probably even more so when it says um, that Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. You know, we, we, were, talk, we were talking about Saul in the early meeting, in the earlier today, and I was thinking a little bit ahead to David, and this also happened to David, his, his brothers got jealous of him because God made it clear to them that he would be the king of Israel and that it wasn't going to be one of the older sons. And so we have a similar situation there. And as if, as if it couldn't get any worse, Joseph goes and he dreams a dream. And he tells them his dream and they hate him even more. So, Joseph, we hate you because you're our father's favorite. We hate you because you gave an evil report of us to our father. And now you're giving us these dreams about what um, may come, you know, I don't know if they actually thought that he was saying that they may come to pass in the future, but one way or another, Joseph was giving them more and more ammo to hate them. Um... And it, it kind of shows a couple of things. Number one, um, I think there might have been at least a point at which Joseph kind of lacked a little bit of discretion because sometimes even if something's the truth, it doesn't necessarily have to be said. Um, and then just also the fact that you can watch in the brother's life how their bitterness grows toward Joseph. Because they don't deal with it. They don't get it out in the open and put it in the right place. Um, could we also read Genesis 35, 16 to 19? Then they journeyed from Bethel. And when there was still some distance to go to Ephraim, Rachel began to give birth, and she suffered severe labor. When she was in severe labor, the midwife said to her, do not fear, for now you have another son. It came about as her soul was departing, for she died, that she named him Ben-Honi, but his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephraim, that is Bethlehem. Again, we see another instance of a favored son. Benjamin was not favored as much as Joseph, but he definitely was a favored son because he was the son of Rachel. And now that Rachel is gone... I'm pretty sure it, um, Abraham's favor of both of these boys went through the roof. Rachel, my beloved, is gone. The, the children that she's given to me are all I have left of her. And uh, so I, I'm just, uh, we're just setting this up as we go through. And you, and you start to understand a little bit more of 
the brother's actions going forward because of what um, this is setting up. So um, our first point is Joseph is the favorite son, and because of that, his brothers despise him. We looked at the first five verses of Genesis chapter 37. And uh, before I go on to the next point, I just want to bring out this quote by Benjamin Franklin who said, Whatever is begun in anger ends in shame. Um, and I, I think you see that a little bit in the early going after there, as we go on, you'll see that they uh, are going to plot to kill Joseph and then they decide just to throw him in the pit and Reuben wants to bring him back and um, so he plots to go back when his brothers aren't looking but when he's gone they have sold him and we'll get into that a little bit more but I and you know we'll, we'll see that also as we move forward through this series on Joseph when they are um, sitting in their prison cell that there's some shame that goes along with the anger that they allowed to um, to drive them to what they did to their brother. So our second point is Joseph's dreams drive them crazy. Um, Genesis 37, 6 to 11 reads, And he said unto them, Hear, I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose, and also stood upright, and behold, your sheaf stood round about, and made obeisance to my sheep. And his brethren said unto them, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream, and he told it to his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and eleven stars made obeisance to me. And, his, and he told it to his father and to his brethren, and his father rebuked him, and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I, thy mother, and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren, envy, his brethren envied him, but his father observed the same. Okay, so, so he's telling his brothers, who already hate him, this dream that implies that they're going to serve him. And as if that wasn't enough, then he tells them a dream that takes it to the next level. and says, not only are you going to serve me, but mom and dad, they're going to bow down and serve me as well. And I don't know what was going through his head, whether he thought this would endear him to his brothers or his brothers to him. I don't think that that would be a good plan, but he decided... Um, I believe in, in youthful exuberance and probably a lack of discretion to lay this out for his brethren. And of course, um, they already couldn't speak peaceably to him. Remember we said that earlier. And so, and his brothers envied him. I think it's interesting because they must have had at least a little bit of inkling that something was true about these dreams or there would be no reason for them to be envy. They, they could just 
um, chalk them up to an overactive imagination. Maybe they could ask him what he ate the night before or whatever it is, but they must have felt there was something to this because they were madder than ever. And they said, this kid's nuts, and we wish that he wasn't around. Um, and he's getting way too much attention, and his head is getting so big, it's a wonder that he can fit through the door. At least that I believe that was their perspective. And, um, and his dad gets a little frustrated with him as well, but it says that his brothers envied him, but his father observed the same. So perhaps he was he was outwardly showing frustration, just to just to show his other sons that he hadn't completely abandoned them, and maybe he was giving serious consideration to what his son was saying. Um, I don't know for sure, but I just know that at this point his brothers are kind of at the boiling point with him. And I just wanted to bring out a cross-reference in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 26. If someone could read that for us. Isaiah 28, 26. For his God instructs I must have put the wrong verse on there. Let me check it out. I did put the wrong one on here. Um, oh, oh no, I, no, it is the right one. For as God doth instruct him to discretion and doth teach him. You know, a lot of times when we go through trials, we think of them as something to get out of. We say, Lord, remove this trial from me. But I truly believe that the experiences that God put Joseph through were to teach him discretion and to prepare him for the future. He was this favored son in the house of his father, and he got a lot of attention. He's probably what someone considers spoiled. And so God's going to put him through a master's class, if you will, in submission and in trust. And so how does he do it? A lot of times we wish that God would teach us through the good times. We wonder why he uses the hard times. I had a friend ask me a few years ago, he said, Andrew, why does God always get out the two-by-four when he's dealing with me? And I said... He doesn't want to get out the two-by-four, but when the still small voice doesn't work, sometimes the two-by-four has to come out. And um, I've been there, and I really believe. Now, I know that Joseph 
everything we read for sure shows that Joseph was a righteous man. But we also know that Joseph was not a perfect man. Joseph was a human being as you and I are. And so I really believe that God um, is preparing to instruct Joseph because he goes from the pit that his brothers throw him in and then he goes to Potiphar's house. He rises to such a place in Potiphar's house that the only thing Potiphar's worried about when he's home is what I'm going to eat. That's all he's worried about. And then Joseph goes to prison um, because he um, flees Potiphar's wife and Potiphar's wife lies about him, which I've, I've heard people say that, that Potiphar must have somewhat believed Joseph because most people in Joseph's position would have been killed and not even allowed to be in prison. But whatever happened, Joseph gets sent to prison. And then what happens there? He gets elevated to leadership. And then he goes from prison to the courtyard of the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh says, I want you to be my second in command. Everyone in my kingdom will bow their knee to you. Can you imagine, um, you know, just, just this morning, just that morning, you were languishing in a prison and you, never, you didn't think anybody would ever rescue you and not only are you rescued, not only are you given clean clothes, but you're put in charge of the greatest nation that was known to the world at that time. Like that's, that's some pretty uh, interesting, intense stuff. But we have a ways to go before we get to that point. But I'm just setting that up to, let, to um, just point out the fact that I think that God often works through trials much more than he does through the good times. I, I can see that in my own life. You know, I spent a lot of time as a young uh, man lamenting my disability, wishing that things were different. And God said, well, if you'll just let me teach you the lessons that I have to teach you through it, then I can use you. And thing, amazing things can happen that you don't even know of right now. And um, I'm reminded of what Paul said when he said, I'm persuaded that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And um, I'm looking forward to that day when the sufferings of this present world will be put behind us, when we won't have to have announcements about cancer or chemo treatments, when I won't have to um, worry about, uh, you know, having someone get me up in the morning, when I won't have to worry about pain in my joints or cold winter days that I'm not looking forward to because I'll be in the presence of the Lord and it will be an amazing thing. So, I just wanted to, and this I guess the story kind of ties in with the first point, but I... We were talking about the brothers and their bitterness toward Joseph and how it seemed to grow. And I want to share the story that reminded me about that. It says, One day, two monks were walking through the countryside. They were on their way to another village to help bring in crops. As they walked, they spied an old woman sitting at the edge of the river. She was upset because there was no bridge and she could not get across on her own. The first monk kindly offered... We will carry you across if you like. 
Thank you, she said, gratefully accepting their help. So the two men joined hands, lifted her between them, and carried her across the river. When they got to the other side, they set her down, and she went on her way. After they had walked another mile or so, the second monk began to complain. Look at my clothes, he said. They are filthy from carrying that woman across the river, and my back still hurts from lifting her. I can feel it getting stiff. The first monk just smiled, nodded his head. The first monk just smiled and nodded his head. A few more miles up the road, the second monk griped again. My back is hurting me so badly, and it's all because we had to carry that silly woman across the river. I cannot go any further because of the pain. The first monk looked down at his partner, now lying on the ground moaning. Have you wondered why I'm not complaining, he said. Your back hurts because you are still carrying the woman, but I set her down five miles ago. <laughs> this is what many of us are like in dealing with our families. We are that second monk who cannot let go. We hold the pain of the past over our loved ones like a club, or we remind them every once in a while when we want to get the upper hand of the burden we still carry because of something they did years ago. And I just think about the brothers and how their, their despising of him grew um, as he was telling them in their dream. And it grew to the point that they decide we're going to take action. Um, and, and here's where I don't quite get Jacob either. Because it says in verse 13, And Israel said to Joseph, do not thy brethren feed the flock in Shechem. Come, and I will send thee unto them. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Go, I pray thee. See whether it be well with thy brethren, and well with thy flocks, and bring me word again. So he sent him out of the vale of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a certain man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man said, man asked him, saying, What seekest thou? And he said, I seek my brethren. Tell me, I pray thee, where they feed their flocks. And the man said, They are departed thence. I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. So, Abraham no doubt knows that the, brother, the Joseph brothers hate him. They've already brought one evil report to Abraham, perhaps he is, is hoping for more information along those same lines. I don't know. But he sends Joseph to them, which does not, to me, seem like a wise move. But anyway, he does. And Joseph is kind of still this happy-go-lucky kid, doesn't really realize what he's done to his brothers. That's another thing about bitterness. A lot of times the people that were bitter against don't even realize the major thing they've done to make us bitter. And so basically what we're doing by choosing bitterness is we are drinking poison hoping the other person dies. And we are hurting ourselves way more than it hurts them. And uh, so may we all uh, be admonished about that. And so for whatever reason, Joseph is told that his brothers went to Dothan, so he says, 
I'm going to go find them. So he goes and finds them in Dothan. So, and when they saw him afar off, verse 18, even before he came near to them, they conspired against him to slay him. Now, I've had times when I've been mad at my brothers. I'm sure they've had times when they've been mad at me. But I don't think any of us ever wanted to kill the other, and for that I am thankful. <laughs> um, but can you imagine? This is, this is the attitude they had toward their brother. We want to kill him. And it wasn't... It wasn't just this thing unjust. It was work, they were conspiring to kill him. This is what they wanted to do. And they said to one another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil hath devoured him. And we will see what has become of his dreams. And this is... This is the intervention of God, because God knows the end from the beginning. He knows Joseph can't die. Why can't Joseph die? Because he is going to be tasked with leading his, his family to safety in Egypt. One ironic thing we're going to see as Abraham goes to Egypt later is he's going to be told that his children will be slaves there. He's actually going to be given pretty good detail because I think it even says they're going to be slaves for 400 years. And then when the time is right, God leads them out of Egypt. But for now, they're going to Egypt for their salvation. His brothers don't know that yet. But God intervenes. And Reuben, who is the oldest, so he should be the most upset because... Joseph basically taken the oldest's place. And Reuben, when he heard it, and Reuben heard it, and he delivered them out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph of his coat, of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread. <clears throat> and they sat down to eat bread, and they lift up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down into Egypt. And Judah said to his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh, and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianite merchants, and they drew up and lifted Joseph out of the pit, and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver and they brought Joseph into Egypt. I find it interesting that after all their grandstanding about how they were going to kill him and how they wanted to rid themselves of him, that Judah then says, he's our brother. Let's not put a hand upon him. Of course, 
the book of First John tells us, if we hate our brother without a cause, we are murderers. So it takes it to another level. <clears throat> and then they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. I wonder what they did with that money. Or how they explained to their father where they got that money. I don't know if they were supposed to sell wool from their sheep or whatever. They must have come up with some pretty good story. That part of the story isn't there. But they sold their own brother. And I think about that. And right now, if, if the story ends here, it's pretty hopeless. The story ends here, it's pretty hopeless. But it doesn't end here. Um, and we will, we will get into other parts of the story as we go on. But as we finish up today's message, we will read the story that they do concoct. Verse 29. Well, first of all, let's look at Acts chapter 7, verse 9 real quick. Acts 7, 9. This is Stephen giving his account of the Old Testament adventures of the Israelites. And this should have been exciting to the people of the time, but instead of being excited, uh, they would gnash their teeth and then throw him out of the synagogue and kill him. Because yet again, uh, another instance of bitterness of not being used by God, I think, because they weren't really focused on God. What did, what did Jesus say of the Pharisees? He said, their lips profess to know me, but their hearts are far from me. We talked about Saul this morning. Saul was a man who was given this gift by God to be indwelled for a time with the Holy Spirit. But he still had to make a choice to follow and even when the kingdom's about ready to be rent from him, he says, Stay with me, Samuel, that we may worship your God. It never became Saul's God. So, all that to say, um, can we look at Acts chapter 7, verse 9? Somebody have that? Just verse 9? Yes. And the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. I wanted just to bring this up. It, it, he talks about how they were sold, how Joseph was sold into Egypt, but the key phrase is the last phrase there. But God was with him. You see, no matter what we're going through, whether we are the favored son, and everything's hunky-dory, and everything's going well, and and things couldn't be better. Or whether we're sitting heartbroken by ourselves because another door is shut in our face. We know that if God is with us, everything will eventually work out. I really liked um, what our brother shared from Max Lucado, that op-ed, 
about November 9th, 2016. It's so important to remember that God will still be on the throne. He will still have a mission to accomplish. And He will still do it. You know, I believe that I will see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. Because what did he say toward the end of his life? He said, I praise, extol, and honor the king of heaven. Who the most powerful among us is able to abase. Now that's a slight paraphrase. But basically Nebuchadnezzar is saying, all through this time, God's been trying to get my attention. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar had already witnessed the fiery furnace. He'd seen Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out. And he kind of bent toward God and then started to go away again. And so God put him into that place where he was an animal in the wilderness for years. And then afterwards, he finally comes to God in a true spirit of humility. And I believe God honored that. So, I just want to share with you a, a little tidbit about Abraham Lincoln, and then we'll read our final verses of this chapter and hear about the story that the brothers are going to tell Abraham. This is good advice for all of us. It says, when Abraham Lincoln had to write a letter to someone who had irritated him, he would often write two letters. The first letter was deliberately insulting. Then, having gotten these feelings out of his system, he would tear it up and write a second letter, this one, tactful and discreet. You know, in our social media, internet, everything now world, it's very easy to type something nasty and hit send. And even if you delete it two minutes later, it's possible that someone already saw it and it affected them in a major way. So may we take the advice of Mr. Lincoln. And if we really need to work out some of our emotions, maybe we do need to write them down, get them out of our system, and then tear it up and write the more tactful letter. So as we finish this chapter, let's look at what these men, and, I, and it's kind of hard to believe that these are men. We're talking about grown men for the most part. Joseph was a teenager, most people believe, and he was one of the youngest, so his bro brothers were probably fully grown men with children, many of them, and they're resorting to this. But this is what it says, And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes, and he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, with, and I whither shall I go? See, even though he hadn't been given the honor of the firstborn, he knew he still had the responsibility of the firstborn for his brother Joseph. And so we see a little bit of redemptive quality in Reuben. And this is where Reuben could have, as the oldest, at least tried to persuade his brothers, hey, we need to be honest about this. We need to tell our father what we did. And perhaps Abraham would have gone after Joseph and rescued him. Of course, he does not do that. He goes along with their plan. And it says this, And they took Joseph's coat and killed a, killed a kid of the goats and dipped it in the blood. And they set the coat of many colors. And they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. 
know ye not whether it be thy son's or no? And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat, and evil bees hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and a captain of the guard. So, not only did they lie, but then when their father's grieving, they just rise up to comfort him, as if it actually happened. Now, I don't understand how this could happen, and how they could keep this trade going for many years, but they end up going for many, many years without saying a word to Abraham about what happened to Joseph. And we'll find out as we go forward that then he, they try to take Benjamin with them uh, to, to Egypt. And, and at first Abraham's like, no dice. There's no way Benjamin's going with you because he's all I have left. Now, of course, we see uh, Abraham's weakness, or we see Jacob's weakness in the fact that... Um, he was focused only on these two sons and not all of his other sons that were no doubt also blessings from the Lord. But I can't believe that they kept up this trade for so long. But then we read in verse 36, And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and a captain of the guard. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a fan of old-time radio. And sometimes they would have multiple-part episodes where it would be serialized, and you would not know what was going to happen next. You would be left on a cliffhanger. And I think verse 36 is a perfect cliffhanger. Next time we get together, we're going to find out what happens to Joseph once he gets to Egypt. And starts working for Potiphar. But I hope that tonight as we have gone through this passage that you have gotten a very clear um, message about how to deal with bitterness and disappointment. How to not let it eat you up. In, in James we read about a root of bitterness. We don't want a root of bitterness to take root in our lives because it can destroy everything. And uh, so my hope and prayer is that we will, um, as we continue through this uh, story of Joseph, we will see the hope even in the despair. I'm pretty sure as Joseph is going to the slave market that he's not feeling very much hope. We don't get a first-person narrative about what he is feeling, but I can almost guarantee you he's not saying, hey, this is pretty great. No, I'm sure he misses his father, and I'm sure um, he somewhat misses his brothers, because I don't think he quite got how, how disappointed they were in the turn of events that made him the favorite. But uh, we will find out more next time 
I'm, I'm asked to speak here, Lord willing. And uh, so if you want to look ahead, you can look ahead to Genesis chapter 39. Um, but let's close in prayer. And uh, thank you for your attention. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the story of Joseph. We thank you for um, the intervention that you um, have had in his life. And we thank you for the words that Stephen shared in Acts chapter 9, that even though Joseph was sold into slavery, that God was with him. And we know that whatever challenges we have to face, whether they be physical, whether they be mental, whether they be emotional, whether they be spiritual, if you are with us, we can overcome. We pray that we would, we would embrace that and believe that wholeheartedly. We ask that you would bless everyone in attendance tonight. We ask this all in the precious name of Jesus, our risen Lord. Amen.